This podcast is part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network, the network for first responders and those who support them. Here we are again on a lovely spring evening. Finally. Scissors and scrubs. I'm Nicole. I'm Laura. So the episode this week Mm -hmm. really should have been done last month. But... Listen, it is what it is. The hundredth episode got in the way, so we're covering a week in April, even though it's May. So just get used to it. But well, yeah, but you know what? We checked in. I'm still alive. Right. You're still alive. Right. There was mo- no major disaster, so right. it's a we can cover this week now. Right. right. So what we're covering is the deadliest week in history, and it there's honorable mentions, which of course I've got to bring my papers for that. Yeah. But it's all these things happen in the middle week of April. So it's we're gonna, bizarre. It's very bizarre. I never noticed. Before we do that, I have to tell a little funny story. Okay. So um, I'm on the way to work the other day. I'm talking to my husband mm-hmm. and he works at a courthouse. Mm-hmm. So he works, uh, he's a court officer. So he works security. Mm-hmm. Probation department calls him. There's a funny smell up here. Mm. He's like, okay, you need to come up and check it out. Now he's security. I don't know what he has to do with the right. funny smell. It should be buildings and grounds, but he goes up and he's like, well, it doesn't smell like rotten eggs. So it's not gas. Mm-hmm. You don't smell CO2. He's like, it smelled like there was a bad smell and there was like a sweet smell to it. He goes, mm, I don't think there's anything wrong here. Mm-hmm. You're good. He goes back downstairs. The chief judge of the courthouse calls him. He's oh. like, we're calling the fight department. We just evacuated probation. He's like, judge, <laughs> I think somebody took a huge shit in the toilet and, yeah, and dumped the entire bottle of poopery on it. <laughs> and the judge is like, nope, nope. Everybody's evacuated. So here comes the fight apartment. Here comes the fucking gas company. <gasps> They've got the monitors. They're checking everything. Yeah. There's like 15 fight apartment up there. Blah, blah, blah. And my husband pulls the chief up to his side. He's like, this is what I think it is. Mm-hmm. And the guy goes into the bathroom. He's like, fucking, this is exactly what it is. <laughs> Everybody out. Get out of here. <laughs> Brian's like, how can you wouldn't own up to it? I said, Brian, I would rupture my colon. Before I would ever tell anybody it was me, yeah. especially after the fight apartment right. and the gas company shows gas up. Calls. You think I would not be like, it was me? Right. Are you in your fucking mind? No. Can you imagine? I could not stop laughing. That's I awful. could not. And then I told him the story about when the doctor was operating and the med student was like, oh, yes. Yeah. And he thought, thought he, he hit the cold. Yeah. And Brian's like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, this poor fucker almost got a. But at least he said it. Right. He almost got a collectomy before I the kid know. finally owned up to the fact he was, you know, busting ass in the room. But Gross. oh my God. I was like, he goes, this is why you don't poop anywhere. I said, exactly. Because that would be me. That would be me. That's exactly why I won't do that. So one of somebody at work was like, yeah, well, I said, I have the bathroom at work I go to. Uh-huh. If God forbid. It's an emergency. It's like, I, you know, you get the sweats mm-hmm. and it comes over in your waves. Mm-hmm. She goes, yeah, I had that bathroom and I didn't notice the toilet was barely hanging on the wall. <gasps> she goes, so it didn't flush and maintenance was waiting for me to leave. <laughs> Oh, no. She goes, I went back in. I threw paper towels on. She was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I said, I would have died. I would have fucking died. I would have died. died. I don't think I ever would have come out of that. The rest of the shift. (laughs) (laughs) At least until maintenance left to change shift. And then I would have snuck out. I'm like, I would have died. Nope, nope, nope. This is my fear. This is exactly why I can't poop anywhere but home. All right. Everybody home knows I poop. Everybody else is supposed to assume I don't. Right. So I just, no, no. All right. So poop stories aside, Mm -hmm. they're always good. The deadliest. (laughs) week in history yes we're gonna kick it off with one of the big events in history which i have always been fascinated with Mm -hmm. clearly i'm not alone because there were movies made about it a hundred something years later people are still talking about it to me it's still one of the most tragic things it's just awful it's just it's awful and i've been to one of the three of the two or three of the four museums or whatever we're talking the titanic yes all right here we go Mm -hmm. April 14th to April 15th, 1912. Yes. Do you know what RMS stands for? Royal Majesty. Close. Oh. Royal Mail Ship. Oh, I saw Why it's a Royal Mail, like the mail, and I'm going to mail you. The Royal Mail Ship Titanic. Okay. HMS is His or Her Majesty's Ship. Oh, okay. But that's a military ship. I was was pretty close. You were close. I I was going to give it to you. All right. March 31st, 1909. The White Star Line lays the keel of the Titanic in Belfast, Ireland. Mm-hmm. So that's the only place yet I haven't gone that's Titanic related. Yes. It is one of three luxury liners that the White Star Line is building. There's the Olympic, the Britannic, and the Titanic. Mm-hmm. And they're all designed by Thomas Andrew. Mm-hmm. 
the Titanic features first-class dining saloon, four elevators, and a swimming pool as just some of its amenities. Nice. All right. This microphone's in my way. I need to really back up, Mike, and he won't let me. Okay. For safety, they build compartments. Um, so the the bottom of the ship is compartments. So if mm-hmm. one of these compartments hits and floods, it's supposed to be like sealed off, sealed kind of. off or something. And there were doors you could get in, but the top compartments are not. So the compartment may be 20 feet high, but there's no cap to it. Mm-hmm. So it could pour into the next compartment, which if it had a cap, it's going to stay isolated. Just in that one. Okay. Um, it's, it has a carrying capacity of 46 1,328 tons. When it's fully laden, it weighs 52,000 tons. It is 882 and a half feet long. Mm-hmm. It is 92 and a half feet wide. On April 10th, 1912, it sets sail from Southampton, England. It stops over in France, mm-hmm. where it picks up um, the Astors. Mm-hmm. And it stops over then in Cope, mm-hmm. which we went to when we were in Ireland. My favorite place in it was Ireland. Amazing. It has this gorgeous... Gorgeous, gorgeous cathedral. Um, gorgeous cathedral. And then the building that they left from is exactly as it was mm-hmm. in 1912. It is the last place in Europe that they leave. And they set sail towards New York. When they finally set sail, there are 2,240 2, people on board. There are many famous first-class passengers. There's the insinkable Molly Brown, mm-hmm. which Debbie Reynolds played her in a musical. And it was my favorite movie as a kid. <laughs> I yeah. never saw that. Um, because Molly Brown was raised like very rural. Mm-hmm. And then she married a guy who hit huge money in Colorado. And so she was shunned by society because she was very um, crass. and She was in new money. She, she was new money and she had no class. Right. God bless her. God love her. Uh, John Jacob Astor, which if you've recently watched The Gilded Age, I believe he is the son of the old lady Astor in The Gilded oh, Age. Yeah. And his 18-year-old pregnant wife yes. around the Titanic. Uh, Benjamin Guggenheim from the Guggenheim Museum. Mm-hmm. Isidore Strauss. He is the owner of Macy's, mm. etc. I mean, the list went on and on mm. of all these bazillionaires who were on because that was known as like the millionaire ship. There's yep. 833 first class passengers, 614 second class passengers, and 1,006 third class passengers. Many of these we found out while we were there, they're immigrants from Ireland going to New York to make money. Mm-hmm. So when the Titanic sank, these towns were decimated because there's no money coming back. Right. You know, they're still on the tails of the famine. It's mm-hmm. still trying to recruit from that. And they lost. They had paid everything to send these people over. And it's just a big hot mess. Okay. So on April 11th, it leaves from Cobe Island on its way to New York. Um, most of the voyage, you have the radio operators, Jack Phillips and Harold Bride. They... Their main job as the radio operators is basically to take all the fancy messages on the ship and pass them. So Astor's talking to Guggenheim, so they're Mm -hmm. passing messages all day long. But they get a a message saying that, um, I'm sorry, they're they're getting warnings about icebergs. Mm -hmm. They know there are icebergs out there. So it is the evening of April 14th, and the Titanic enters waters known to have a ton of icebergs in Mm -hmm. it. Captain Smith... After he hears, yeah, we'll go south a little bit, but we're not slowing down. We're Mm -hmm. staying at 22 knots in this, which is going to make it very difficult to maneuver. 9.40 p.m., Masaba, which is a ship, sent a warning of an ice field. The message never makes it to the bridge of the Titanic that they're coming into a huge ice field. 10.55, the nearby Californian said, is sending out a message, we've had to stop, we're surrounded by icebergs. Mm -hmm. Like, they can't even move because they're too afraid they're going to sink. They're scolded by Jack Phillips because he's they're interrupting him, giving messages back and forth to the passengers. Like, stop talking. Astor has to know if his wife can eat some chocolate where she's pregnant. So on the crow's nest of the Titanic is Frederick Fleet and Reginald Lee. Those are such English names. Frederick Fleet and Reginald Lee. Um, there's no binoculars up in there. And for some reason, even though we're in the North Atlantic, the water is calm dead calm mm-hmm. which is making it very hard because you're not seeing any water breaking over icebergs mm-hmm. you're not seeing it breaking on the bow so they it's making it even harder for them to see um at 11 40 p.m about 400 nautical miles which is 740 kilometers fucking 400 miles. It's, it's long south of newfoundland 
an iceberg is spotted and the bridge is notified. Iceberg, dead ahead! Mm-hmm. First officer William Murdoch orders the ship to reverse and turn left, but it's too late. The starboard side scrapes along the iceberg. Five of the watertight compartments are ruptured immediately. Um, the designer is on the ship, that mm-hmm. Thomas Andrews on the ship. He, he assesses the damage immediately and he knows they're fucked. Yeah. The five compartments at the bow are going to flood. This is what he's telling them. These mm-hmm. five compartments are going to flood and it's going to drop the bow in the water, which is going to cause them to start tipping into the other compartments right. and sink the ship. Um, so I write it really long and then I explain it in about two seconds. <laughs> it's believed that the, so they think had the ship not slowed down and turned and just went head on into it, the t- it probably would have survived it. But because they exposed their side and it scraped the whole side, mm-hmm. it caused 10 times the damage that it, it couldn't survive. So at 1220, the first distress signal is sent. Coonard ship immediately starts making its way to the Titanic, but it's, it's pretty far from mm-hmm. the Titanic. The, the car, Pathia Carpathia is 58 nautical miles away, but it takes her three hours to get there. You don't know if it's because... I was going to say, there's icebergs, so they can't go fast. You have no idea why, but it takes her three hours to get there. Other ships are closer by, but they never get the signal. Uh, California had turned its wireless radio off for the night, and another nameless ship is seen in the distance. They never know who it is, and it never comes back. Now, I had watched, because I am obsessed with the sinking of the Titanic, a show... And the Morse code that the Titanic was using was like an old English code. And they had adopted a new code that everybody should be using. Mm -hmm. They refused to use it. So they think some of the Morse code that went out, other people didn't know what it was Um. and didn't know what was going on. Other people didn't believe the Titanic. It was unsinkable. This can't be from the Titanic. The flares going off saying that we're sinking, people thought were a celebration on the ship. Mm -hmm. So a lot of signals they were sending out were missed misdiagnosed mm-hmm. so as the ship oh let's see okay so lifeboats get launched women and children first and as we all know there's not enough lifeboats to begin with mm-hmm. and the ones they do have are way under capacity because mm-hmm. they're afraid that they're going to sink when they get in or they're going to get swamped mm-hmm. so like lifeboat number seven is the first to launch it can hold 65 people there's 27 people on it. some of them were launched empty only 705 of those 22,000 people are saved by the lifeboats mm-hmm. As the ship is sinking, the orchestra is on the deck, performing nearly nearer my God to thee until they literally until they were no longer seen. They were playing. Yeah. Nobody, none of the musicians survived the mm-hmm. sinking. By two a.m., the bow is so far underwater the propellers are coming up out of the water. By two eighteen, the lights go out on the Titanic and it breaks in two. It's crazy. By two twenty a.m., it only takes two more minutes for the rest of it to get come down. It disappears beneath the Atlantic. Many go into the water alive, but the lifeboats are too afraid of getting swamped. Nobody go back. They won't go back and pick them up. Mm-hmm. And you're in the North Atlantic in April. It's frozen. Fucking 40 degree water. Um, so they're freezing to death. I mean, Rose made it, but Jack froze to death. There was, <laughs> there was room back. on that door. I know. By the time they finally roll back, all in the water are done. They mm-hmm. all died, except for uh, Rose, of course, is what mm-hmm. I wrote. 1,500 people died in the Ugh. Titanic. 700 crew members. 710 third class passengers. About 174 survive. So 700 of the crew. It's 1,500 die. 700 a crew. 710 are third, third class. class. So there's like four first class that die. Like it's right. so sad. Yeah. By 3.30, the Carpathia finally arrives. It's about an hour after the ship is never seen. And they pick up who's whoever's left, whether they're in the... They could only be in the boats because mm. you're not going to survive in that water. Um, when we went to Halifax, they were the closest open water port that was not frozen in. Mm-hmm. And they were laying the transatlantic cable. So they had these big boats that were going across the Atlantic laying mm-hmm. this cable. They send them out. And when you go to the museum, they say, you know, they give you where it's supposed to be. And they're like, they see nothing, they see nothing, they see nothing. And then here comes like a shoe. Mm-hmm. And then here comes the first body. Yeah. And they picked up, I think... 300 bodies on one ship oh. and they were like they're just frozen solid so yeah. they don't look like they're trauma you know they just look it looked like they were sleeping but right. children they, yeah. they, they said those crews were fucked up and they brought them back to nova scotia there's three burial grounds in nova scotia that you can go to from the titanic survivors one of the stories was um there's a little pair little girl shoe she, she would have been like eight the size of these shoes mm-hmm. and the chief of police at the time took the shoes 
I don't know. It's like, I think he just, it bothered him that yeah. much. So he takes the shoes and he put them in his desk drawer and they were there till 1930 when he retired. Wow. I was like, that's something. Yeah. So that is the story of the Titanic in it's a terrible. nutshell. That kicks off the week of right. April 14th, uh, April 12th. April 12th. Well, I'm, I'm going to get this one out of the way because it's also a long one. A long one. And I, it's, I'm doing the Bay of Pigs invasion. I got this information. I just think of Billy Joel. Bay of Pigs Invasion. He's a, that's part of his song. Oh, really? Yeah. We didn't start the fight. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I got the information from history.com. I am going to touch briefly on the problems between the U.S. and Cuba. Oh, I know it's please. way it's more in depth. missile crisis and it's all that. way more. There's way more history to it. I can't get into it because that would be a four-hour yeah. show. Anyways, um, so on April 17th, 1961... The United States CIA launched a failed attack to remove Fidel Castro from power. That is what the Bay of Pigs right. invasion My dad is. was in the Bay of Pigs. So, a little backstory, like a little teeny backstory. Fidel Castro overthrew um, the dictator that was ruling Cuba, um, General Fulgencio Batista. Well, if you watch The Godfather 2, it'll explain all of it. Perfect. <laughs> um, in 1959. So, Fidel Castro takes power mm-hmm. in 1959. Batista was American-backed because he let the Americans do whatever they wanted. Exactly, He was corrupt and he was he repressed the people of Cuba. But at the time, Americans or American companies owned half of Cuba's sugar plantations, cattle ranches, and mines. I believe it. And Batista did not restrict them at all. They could do whatever they want, take whatever they wanted mm-hmm. out. There was no restrictions. When Castro takes over... He thinks Cuba should have control over their own country, like a normal... I mean, mm-hmm. you would think that. Um, his most popular slogan was, Cuba see Yankees no. Like, that was, yep. like, his big slogan everywhere. Um, so, Castro takes steps to reduce the American, like, footprint in Cuba. Um, and when America kind of sees this and they're like, well, all right, we're going to... Pro- we're going to... We take 80% of Cuba's sugar. That's, we imported 80% of Cuba's sugar. America says, we're not doing that anymore. No Cuban sugar is coming in here Mm -hmm. because you are kind of giving us restrictions. Right. So Cuba's like, well, we got to get rid of the sugar somehow. They call the USSR. Who's ready to take it all day long. Yep. And they form relations and now the USSR is buying all of Cuba's sugar. And... Fidel Castro is suddenly communist. a communist. Mm-hmm. He wasn't a communist when yeah. he took power. He becomes a communist. So now the U.S. is... So he's basically doing what Batiste did, but with the USSR. He's selling out Cuba to Russia. Yes. Okay. Instead of to America. Right. So now America's pissed and nervous because Cuba is like a arms miles away, away from yeah. Florida. So, and Russia is sending them like tanks and guns and mm-hmm. missiles and all this shit. And they're like... this is the height of the Cold War too. Right. And they're in our backyard. So America's like, okay, something's going to happen here. Um, so um, U.S. severed diplomatic relations with Cuba, and they prepare to invade. Pretty much to show you the USSR, China, and some Americans that Kennedy wanted to win the Cold mm-hmm. War. So in 1959, 1960, when Castro took over, President Eisenhower was in office, and he... Um, took about 1,400 Cuban exiles that were living in Miami and trained them mm-hmm. in guerrilla warfare um, to go in and overthrow Castro. So Kennedy is now president at the time that we sever ties. And he doesn't want to send U.S. troops into Cuba because he's like, this is a that's going to just start off right. a whole thing. So he inherits this guerrilla army of exiles. So he uses this army... For the invasion and hopes that it would inspire an uprising of the Cuban people right. that their people are going in to overthrow the government. It is it doesn't go well. Um, I'm sorry. So I wrote this like crazy. So, <laughs> so there's like steps to the what happened. So step one on April fifteenth, nineteen sixty one, American B fifty two bombers painted as stolen Cuban planes. Um, flew over from Nicaragua to an airfield to destroy Castro's tiny little air force. Because they were like, if we do that, they can't right. like, get back at us. However, Castro had learned about this plan, oh. and he moves his planes. They never get the planes. Kennedy's extremely frustrated, obviously, 
um, with the CIA's plans, saying they may be, quote, too large to be clandestine and too small to be successful. So he's like, this is a not, not a good plan. Right. But now it's already in motion. Mm-hmm. So on April 17th, 1961, the Cuban refugee army invaded at the Bay of Pigs. It was immediately a disaster. Coral reefs that no one seemed to know about wrecked ships on their way in. Um, the CIA failed to spot a radio station on that beach, and that radio station broadcasted every move happening to the listeners of Cuba. So everyone all over Cuba is hearing this. Oh, so everybody God. knows exactly who's coming yeah. in, where they're coming. It's a, it's a PR disaster. Yeah. And the backup paratroopers landed in the wrong place. So they never landed in the Bay of Pigs. Their backup landed somewhere else. How uh, did they get it so wrong? It was... Um, I. So Castro's troops obviously quickly, quickly cornered these invaders on the beach, and they had to surrender. 114 people were killed, and 1,100 were taken prisoner. Um, the CIA and the Cuban exiles thought Kennedy would eventually allow the American military to intervene on their behalf, but he held fast to his belief that sending in troops would start World War III, and he's like, I'm not doing it. I don't want to leave Cuba to the communists. But I am not starting World War Three. But how did they not think this Bay of Pig invasion wouldn't be at the start of World War Three? Do you know what I mean? Because it was there. Still. They, they knew they were American the Cuban backed. people. Come on. Yeah. But they weren't sending in their troops. Oh, they were just yeah, letting yeah. their Cubans back in. Um, fun fact. It's actually Bay of Swines. Not about pigs. Talking about the pirates that used to go there. Interesting. It's not, it's I never knew that. Pigs. Yeah. It's, a, it's actually I thought about, it was like Bahamas where they got swimming pigs or something. No, it's actually about, they called it that because of the pirates that used to come. They would call them swines. Swine. And so it was the Bay wow. of Swines. We misinterpreted it and, and we called it the Bay of Pigs. And repeat. I learned something every time we do this podcast. Yeah. Um, so that's the Bay. That's the um, Bay of Pigs invasion. That was a big disaster and 114 yeah. were killed. That's pretty bad. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I got another heavy hitter. Lincoln assassination. Oh, Jesus. Now, I know these are nothing medical, but it was too fascinating to talk well, about. Well, people okay. die. People die. Lincoln yeah. gets shot. It's medical care. Yeah. F- April 14th, 1865. Abraham Lincoln is the 16th president of the United States. On April 9th, 1865, General Lee surrenders at Appomattox Courthouse, ending the bloodiest battle the U.S. has ever seen. Hmm. On April... 14th, 1865, Lincoln with his wife will be attending the play An American Cousin. At the time, it is this hugely popular play. There's a woman in it that's supposed to be the best actress in the country. Blah, 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 blah. Before Lincoln gets assassinated, he keeps dreaming that he's going to be assassinated. Mm -hmm. On his way to the play, he says to his bodyguard, I feel like I'm going to get killed. Like He he says all this, okay? Um, on the morning of the 14th, John Wilkes Booth, who is an actor, mm-hmm. and he hates Lincoln so much he can't even stand it because mm-hmm. he is um, a, he's against abolition. He, he wanted slavery. He's pro-South, even though he wouldn't fight for the South. Yeah. He hid in the North. Mm-hmm. He is a huge anti-abolitionist. Um, he learns Lincoln's going to be attending the play that night. Now, he and a bunch of other conspirators had been trying to find a way mm-hmm. to get to Lincoln. Okay. So they... He and his other conspiracies, they have a plot to kill Lincoln, the vice president, Andrew Johnson, mm-hmm. and the secretary of the state, William Seward. Grant is also on the list because the night of the pro- play, Grant and his wife are also supposed to be mm-hmm. there. They don't like Mary Todd Lincoln. Mm-hmm. So they're like, oh, yeah, mm, kids got the flu. Can't go. No, we're not sitting in the box. No, that's what saves his life. Mm-hmm. So George Andrew. Mm-hmm. Alzardot, Alzar, Alzarot. Sure. I don't know. He's a German guy. Mm-hmm. He's tasked with killing the vice president Johnson. Mm-hmm. Lewis Powell. He is to attack William Seward, mm-hmm. the German guy. Because I can't. I'm going to call him George because I can't pronounce him. He is supposed to do this. He goes to a bar. He starts drinking. He doesn't have the courage. He he had actually rented a room in the same place as Johnson. He couldn't do it. He couldn't. Mm-hmm. So he's drinking all fucking day. He starts stumbling around D.C. at night, mm-hmm. drops a knife. This woman sees him drop the knife, calls the police. Yeah. Because at this point, Lincoln has already been shot. And mm-hmm. she figured this is no good. So this poor fucker winds up getting hung for the plot, even though he didn't do anything. Yeah. Um, William Seward, 
he had been in a carriage accident. So he's home recovering from his carriage accident. Oh. On April 14th, Lewis Powell knocks on his door with a, quote, pharmacy delivery. Forces himself into the house. He winds up attacking the butler. He attacks Seward's son. Forces himself into the room. Stabs him three times in the throat and two times in the face. <laughs> Fucking guy survives. Ugh, I was going to say, I don't remember who died. He survives, but he's never the same. Ew, and well. he just, he tried to go back to work. He was just never the same. Mm-hmm. So these are all happening at the same time Lincoln's at the theater. All right, so he's at the theater. He's supposed to be tending the play with Grant. We already went through that. They hate his wife, so they didn't go. Um, Booth enters the theater, and he makes his way to Lincoln's private box, mm-hmm. which is completely unguarded. Nobody knows where his bodyguard was at the time. Could you just imagine for one second? The, no. Like, we were talking. I was talking with Paul or something, and they were doing a no Obama fundraiser. This is years ago. And I think it was run by one of the former residents we work with. And they had a huge $10 million check for the campaign. But they were like, you have to come to Boston to pick it up. Mm-hmm. They shut down every fucking street in Boston. It was a disaster. He was like, no, traffic couldn't get anywhere. And this, you could walk right up to Lincoln and be like, hey, what's up, dude? Right. It's just insane right. how this happens, okay? Um, he enters it. He, he Once he gets in, he bars it shut from the inside. And at the moment of the play, when he knew it would be really loud... Mm-hmm. He takes out his 44 caliber Derringer and shoots him in the back of the head. Mm-hmm. Leaps from the box, says some stupid phrase. Oh, yeah, came so, comes yeah over he the leaps thing. over the box, breaks his leg when he hits the stage, says some stupid fucking phrase, and takes off, off where there's a horse waiting for him. Um, Lincoln is immediately, I mean, there's doctors in the audience. They immediately tend to him. He's taken across the street to a lodging house. He's pronounced it dead at 7.22 a.m. the next morning. Eventually, I mean, I'm not going to get into the whole story. It's a pretty famous one. Yeah. Booth and all the people, all the conspirators are found, including the female Mary, I can't think of her name, Mary Seward, Mary Surratt. I, was she the first woman executed? I don't remember, but they hang all of them mm-hmm. for this conspiracy. Uh, and then Andrew Johnson takes over. Everybody hated him. Mm-hmm. They impeach him. And then you get Grant. And that is another horrible event in oh, April, in the week of April. So we when we went to DC, we went to the playhouse, and then across the street, you go to the boarding house yeah. and stuff. It is really cool. Oh, I, I can't. I've never been. I have to get to DC. Yeah. Oh my god, you, I, I have never believe been. You've never been. There. You know why? Because I I want to see so much, and I didn't want my kids little and giving me like I'm tired. And I want to like yeah. I want to see everything. I want to be at the theater. I want you know I'm yeah. fucking everything. It was awesome. I mean, it's very interesting. Mm. It's sad, but it's very interesting. Mm. Um, okay, so I'm doing now. The Mississippi River Flood of 1927. Oh, my God. I'm going to tell you, the 20s and 30s in this country sucked. That was terrible. Sucked. Um, Otherwise known as the Great Flood of 1927 is one of the worst natural disasters in U.S. history. And I had never heard of it. Half the shit I covered, I never heard of. Um, In early 1927, there were several months of heavy, heavy, heavy rain, which caused the Mississippi River to swell to unprecedented levels, Mm -hmm. of course. On April 16th, the first levee broke. Because of the size of the river. It's just too big. The levee breaks. Just one. Then on April 21st, the Mounds Landing levee breaks. Over the next few weeks, almost every levee has been breached. That's bad. Some residential areas were 30 feet of water deep. It took two months for the water to completely subside. The flood left 750,000 people without food, water, clothing, or work. Unfortunately... The white population was favored during relief and rescue operations because this is a time when, mm-hmm. you know, it's no good down there. Thousands of plantation workers were forced to work in disgusting conditions. Can you imagine? No. Like, I, I always Disease think that any time it falls that. anywhere, I'm always yeah. like, oh my God, all the poop and the dead mm-hmm. bodies and the animal mm-hmm. bodies and the, oh my God. Yep. So they're forced to work in disgusting conditions to shore up the levees. Then they're left without food or water when they're stranded at the levees when the water rises. So they send them out before the, you know, before their levees break near their plantations. How many died? It doesn't say because they probably didn't keep track of them. Um, African-American workers in the relief camps are forced to work and oh. to help in the relief efforts oh while God. receiving less food and provisions than the white people in the relief That's camps. That's shameful. Shameful. Yep. Um, the flood caused long-term social and political changes in the U.S., a lot of African-Americans, this is a generalization, I realize, a lot of African-Americans switched from the Republican Party, which was historically anti-slavery. So mm-hmm. they were... Yeah, Lincoln was a Republican. Right. Republican. Um, 
to the Democratic Party as um, the party of the people. Yes, because President Coolidge, who was in office during this flood, was Republican and he didn't help them. And they were made to do all this right. stuff and they didn't get relief. So right. they were like, no, you know what? You didn't do anything for us. Right. So they switched parties. So this changes like the whole political mm-hmm. system in the United States. And um, the flood also contributed to the great migration of African-Americans from South to Northern cities. Do you blame them? No, so, but them? it changes like the whole demographics of, of the United States. Yeah, it was crazy, but it was a terrible, terrible flood. One of the worst and one of the worst disasters in the you know that history. whole. I mean, the Mississippi. I'm not saying the Mississippi floods. Yeah. Like it, that's where the deltas are and everything, and people still fucking build there. I and know, it's like, why? why go to where the borderline of the worst flood ever is mm-hmm. and build after that? Mm-hmm. All right, give mm-hmm. yourself at least some little wiggle room. Yeah. All right. Okay. Black Sunday, Laura. Black, Black Sunday. Sunday. 4-14-1935. So during World War I, mm-hmm. Europe cannot create its own food. And the United States has a windfall because we're fucking producing wheat and food and sending it over there. We're making a fuck ton of money. Mm-hmm. Which is why we never wanted to enter the war because we're feeding both sides. Mm-hmm. And we make a fuck ton of money. Mm-hmm. Okay. Homesteaders descend on the Great Plains because they know there's money to be made. But Mm -hmm. when they do that, they dig up all the native grasses to plant crops. And they plant crops and they plant crops and they plant crops. And they don't realize that the the native grasses kept the soil in place. Mm -hmm. They're going to learn out the hard way. Yeah. Land speculators tell the people that dust can be used like mulch. Because what is happening is the the land is so overprocessed during the, the... teens and the 20s the top layer is just literally fucking dust yeah um it's like my yard yeah my i'm waiting for my sod <laughs> to come in and i said to my husband we're living in the dust bowl yeah one good storm we're done yeah. we're gonna have black sunday so they are they're basically strip farming they're just there's they're just taking everything it's not holding moisture in it's mm-hmm. a disaster and it's okay through the 20s because there's a lot of rain in the 20s as we just heard mm-hmm. but when the depression hits the prices collapse of wheat, mm-hmm. so they're already in a depression, and now a drought hits that lasts for ten years. Yeah, it was ridiculously long time. Ten yeah. year drought, and you know it's a part of history. A lot of people don't talk about. Mm-hmm. We don't learn about. The Dust Bowl was devastating. Yeah, I don't. It's the most depressing thing. Like the Grace of Wrath. I wanted to kill myself after reading that book. It was so depressing all of john steinbeck's are the most depressing things i've ever read in my life i just read a book recently oh my god that's gonna drive me nuts it was really good it was like just released last year and it's during the time of the dust bowl and these people move from like one of those states to california it is so good but the whole thing is so goddamn depressing it's because it's just you never get out of it right, because they just on, never get out of it on top of the dust and the drought yeah. you have locusts coming in eating whatever is left mm-hmm. it was just i don't know how anybody survived in that fucking area okay. and it was the depression and it's it the, was yeah, yeah it's you want to kill yourself so the farms are going under livestock's dying slaves and are getting overworked um this the the soil has turned into dust and it's continually blowing in the air and these big dust storms are happening and people are like you know i remember cameron had to read a book it was about the dust bowl the dust is in their food the dust mm. isn't you, you constantly had a dusty house there was nothing you could do it was coming through the cracks of, there's nothing yeah. you could do about all this dust so dust storms are hitting the plains, and they're calling them black blizzards. You know, in 1932, there's 14 black blizzards. Oh my God. 1933, there's 33 black blizzards. Because you're still in a part of the country that's wicked fucking windy. That's right. where tornadoes are and everything right. else. That's so the plains. The right. plains, they're flat. They the just... constant dust particles in the air, they, um, they can't be contained. People are using masks. They're sealing windows. They're hanging wet sheets over windows and doors. But, it, I mean, the dust is getting through everything. Mm-hmm. The hottest hit areas are Kansas, Colorado, New Mexico, Oklahoma, and Texas. Mm -hmm. Spring of 1935 is followed the worst drought year yet. Um, hmm, What the hell did I write? Unusual amount of dust. That's what I wrote. (laughs) April 14th, 1935. After months of, like, they had a horrible winter. Uh, clear skies come out. This is so much like the children's movie. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Clear skies. There's no winds. Everyone's like, oh, let's go outside, run some errands, do some shit. It's going to be great. Because they couldn't go outside. Right. Right. Um, so they're out. They're enjoying the day. Mm-hmm. There are, what did I write on the landscape? There's no trees. There's nothing. 
on the landscape to even break when like and if you've ever been out my girlfriend lives in south dakota god bless you carmen she doesn't live there anymore for a reason i went out we were going to drive her from south dakota to boston there ain't a fucking tree to be seen it's like looking at the ocean but it's land we're at the trees yeah that's weird and so you wonder why the wind comes down from right. canada there's nothing to stop it right. there's no mountains it's flat yeah it's i could never live out there no okay all right now that i've gone on smashed south dakota yeah so they're going to church they're hanging out in the sunshine and unbeknownst to them here comes the cold front moving down from canada Eesh. and it clashes with the warm coming up from the dakotas mm-hmm. and it starts winds and in just a few hours the temp drops 30 degrees and the winds start a whipping the winds create a dust cloud that went hundreds of miles wide and thousands of feet high oh my god it Reached its full fury in southeast Colorado, southwest Kansas, and the Texas and Oklahoma panhandles. The Wh- sky, where it's already terrible. Right. Oh, yeah. those are horrible, too. In the sky is black. People can't see anything. They're forced to take shelter wherever they are at the time. Mm-hmm. So if they're in the cars, you're in your car till for a day because you can't get out of it. You're in basements. You're under beds. They can't see their hands in front of their face. There's so much oh dust in the air. Woody Guthrie wrote you couldn't see your hands in front of your face (laughs) people believe it was the end of the world i mean one woman considers killing her child because she believes it's Armageddon. she's like i don't want my kid living there yeah and this storm goes on for hours and it's unclear if anyone died one man went blind from it but the animals who were caught it done all the livestock's done and it was the worst black blizzard of the dust bowl year it displaced three hundred thousand tons of topsoil oh my god as far east as the East Coast. Oh, my God. Yeah, from Texas yeah. to the East Coast could be seen. And that, my friends, is Black Sunday. That, I, I oh, my God, it's going to make me nuts where, what that book was. Oh, my God. Anyways, I'm reading it the whole time like, I could never mm-hmm. live there. I just couldn't live there. Like, it's, it's like, and they were doing so, all these people, like, I mean, obviously, this is a fictional book, but. You know, they're doing well. Everybody was doing well in the early, you know, teens yeah. and the things. Because there was tons of money coming in. And their land is great. And the mm-hmm. government's coming in and paying for mm-hmm. the crops they're growing because of the war. And Like, they're doing really well. And then everything went bad. And just in a split second. Yep. It's just... And, and it's just dust. Everywhere. everywhere. The book that Cameron reads... And, and one of the mothers complained about the book, which... To me, to be honest with you, I thought it was a good book for them to read. I think they needed to hear it. It's about a young girl living in the Dust Bowl. Yeah. Her mother, so they would have kerosene beside the stove. The mother gets severely burned by mm. this kerosene and dies. And it's like everything that could happen to this poor kid happened. But she still bonds with her father. And like, yo, we're growing the um, the apples are starting to come. Here come the locusts. <laughs> Gone. Not even a leaf left on the tree. And they're like just struggling to survive. Yeah. And I thought yeah, that was 10 years ago. That's why... Um, FDR was so anxious to get us into war. Yeah. Because it dragged you right out of the depression because now you're creating ships, you're creating planes, you, there's jobs, the men right. are working. It brought us right out of the depression, but how long would it have lasted yeah. if World War II didn't happen? Yeah. I don't know. Awful. Anyway. Awful time. All right. This has nothing to do with nursing, but we're going on anyway. Yeah, anyways. Well, I mean, the dust, all the uh, lung... It, um, I mean, lung disease. Lung disease and everything. Oh, my God. <laughs> Blindness. Can you imagine breathing that every Constantly. day? Ugh, no. Constantly. No. I would have been dead immediately um okay i'm gonna do the west fertilizer plant explosion Ooh. and i got this from the denverpost.com um on april 17th 2013 so we're up to date now um a <laughs> i fire... remember this it was on t- like you could see footage of it, it was yeah crazy. there was footage of, but i i don't remember it but there was footage. i remember because you could see the shock wave go yeah. across the it was fucking yeah. crazy um yeah so april 17th a fire started at the west fertilizer plant in west Texas. Comma, Texas. It's not West Texas. Oh, the name of the town is West. How unoriginal I, are you to come up with the not name even like in, West? It's not even in West Texas. I had to read it like 400 times. I'm like, oh, this is the town. Like, this isn't... <laughs> they're not in West Texas. I'm like, what's we the live, town? What's we the live town? north, but we're called West. Yeah. It's like in the south. south I don't know. It doesn't make any difference. Anyways, sense. it's the town is called West. Where do you live, West? Don't West of where? Confused. No, just West. Just West. Um, So the fire started in this fertilizer plant at around 729. A witness called 911 to report it. Emergency responders arrived to the fight the fire, unaware that the ammonium nitrate stored at the plant was an explosive hazard. At 7.51, there was a massive explosion. It registered as a magnitude 2.1 earthquake. 
It looked like a 2.1 earthquake. The crater left behind was 93 feet wide (gasps) and 12 feet deep. Holy shit. A nearby school, nursing home, and apartment complex were severely damaged. Like, they were gone. Doors and windows and other damage occurred to 150 other homes and buildings. 260 people were sent to hospitals for treatment. Most injuries were traumatic brain injuries, eye injuries, cuts, wounds, stuff like that. 15 people were killed. 12 were emergency responders because they went in to fight the fire and the thing explodes. One was a resident of that nearby nursing home and two lived in that nearby apartment complex. She just had a heart attack. And well, they were so damaged. They were like right there. They had to be like leveled. Um, They died from blunt force trauma, blast force injuries, and um, severe fractures. Oh, that's terrible. The entire town was evacuated because they didn't know how bad this was going to be. In case of the spreading fires or toxic gases Mm -hmm. from the plant, they they literally went door to door and made sure nobody was in any house in the town. Um, The cause is believed to be arson, but no one has ever been arrested for it. I didn't know it was set. Yeah. They said it was not a natural um, or... Like, it didn't just occur. Somebody, something happened. Like, either there was, like, a golf cart or something. They were like, maybe that leaked or something. You know, there was yeah. something, but they believe it was awesome. Wow. Yeah. Well, we're moving on to April 19th, 1989. Okay. The USS Iowa explosion. Oh, yeah. I remember this mm-hmm. as well. The USS Iowa mm-hmm. was preparing for a live fire training okay. in Bayeques, Puerto Rico. Okay. I thought that sounded pretty good. Sure. Um, my car is wearing headphones so he can hear the crews in the other turrets. So a life when you're on these ships, the gunners mates go in, they shoot the guns to make sure they still work. So yeah. there's different turrets in, in this cruise in each turret to get this gun shooting. So he's in a separate turret and he can hear all the other turrets when they're talking. Mm-hmm. At 9.50 a.m., a call comes over the headphones that turret two, the center gun, is having problems. Mm-hmm. Two minutes later, Senior Chief Ziegler, in charge of Turret 2, alarms for a fire in Turret 2. You don't want to fire in any of these turrets. Mm-mm, mm-mm. They have a lot of ammunition. Then came a huge blast that literally blows the ear headsets off a car who is Ooh. listening. Rocks the ship. It just, the whole ship is like, oh my God. on its side. Uh, two sailors get blown on to the deck from the turret. <sighs> and it takes eight hours to put the fire out oh of this God. turret. It's believed the powder bags ripped and a chain sparked, which set off the first explosion. The gun lubricants ignite next. The powder gun door is open to the center gun. So the powder gun door is probably where they keep all of the... I'm only assuming because I'm not... I have never been on a military ship. Mm-hmm. I should... I've been on them not when they're yes, active. Yes, no, I'm not active. I haven't <laughs> been in a gun turret. So no. I, I think it's where they keep all the, all powder, the powder to keep you know getting the gun going. The powder gun doors open and when this, uh, to the center gun and the fireball goes straight to the bottom of the turret, setting off all of the powder and blowing them up. This causes multiple explosions. The last explosion is so strong, it blows the two-ton hatch off its hinges huh? into the water. It kills 47 sailors. Oh, and it is the first explosion in a battleship turret since 1943 when 43 sailors on the USS Mississippi are killed. Now, that's really what happened. Mm-hmm. I remember this explosion, and I had said to Brian, when, I said, do you remember the USS Iowa? He goes, yeah, wasn't it like two gay guys? What? Yes. So when you read this, the initial report that came out, there were two guys that were friends that worked in that turret. They were both gunners mates. For whatever reason, John makes Jim his beneficiary. The Navy blames this as like a lover's suicide initially because of this beneficiary thing oh because the kid is killed in the blast this guy is gets his money thing. what it basically boiled down to is the blame game navy mm-hmm. puts that out because they don't want to be responsible for having old equipment right and what it boiled down to was the ship was old mm-hmm. they at the time i think who's in power in 89 it might have been clinton no was it clinton no, no it was bush i think yeah, the first bush yeah. is, in, is president but there's no money for the, the military so they're just refurbishing old ships mm-hmm. and it just was old shit that they were using that yeah. exploded but that's the story that they put out that's the story that stuck for these two, two poor oh guys and i read that i was like that's terrible 
that's, that's terrible because those families how do you how do you take that back now because it's still i mean 19, he thought you know, that, how many yeah. were 20 something years later 30 something years later mm-hmm. that still pops up in the internet that it was oh my God. that was the story that went out and they named these two guys it's terrible yeah so yeah they blew up a ship and killed 40 people yeah, for insurance for bis- yeah, yeah for military insurance how much money right. do you think that kid's right. getting i mean it's right. not millions by no. any means so that was the uss iowa fascinating okay this, <laughs> this is my last one okay the oklahoma city bombing oh that was terrible it was awful fucking I terrible got this from fbi.gov yeah so i remember all i can picture in my head is the picture of the building, the building with all that yeah the floor is like on top of each other and like the whole front of it's gone or the north side of it's gone um at 902 a.m on april 19th 1995 a rider truck parked with a homemade 4,800 pound bomb made of agricultural fertilizer, diesel fuel, and other chemicals was detonated. It was parked at the north entrance of the Alfred P. Mura Federal Building in downtown Oklahoma City. The area immediately after the bomb went off looked like a freaking war zone. It was ridiculous. It was unreal. A third of the Federal Building was gone. Immediately. Gone. You should Google the pictures of it because it's ridiculous. If you don't remember this, Yeah. yeah, it's unreal. Um, a third, yeah, a third of the building was gone. There's, the floors were just, you can see every floor. Yep, it's like somebody and, took all of the wall off. Yeah. So you can see every, the inside of the building. All the floors. And like some of them were pancaked onto yep. each other. Um, dozens of cars were like immediately incinerated, like all around the area. And 300 surrounding buildings were damaged or destroyed. 300. 850 people were injured. 168 people were killed. 19 of them were children. Because there was a daycare in there for the people that worked in the federal building. And when you look at the building, you can't believe it's only that many people. I don't I don't understand how, how anybody walked people. out of there alive. Right. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the worst act of homegrown terrorism in U.S. history. Um, the FBI immediately, you know, they're obviously on the scene. It's a federal building. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's FBI agents there. They're immediately on the scene. They're searching the rubble for clues because there's got to be mm-hmm. some clue as to what happened. They find the rear axle of a rider truck with a VIN number still on it at the bottom of the rubble. Wow. They, I didn't real, I didn't know this. They trace it to uh, Auto Body Shop in Junction, Junction, Junction City, <laughs> Kansas. The employees there give them a composite sketch of the person who rented the van mm-hmm. or the truck. They show the sketch around town. And a hotel employee comes up with a name, Timothy McVeigh. On, what a weird motherfucker he yeah. is. On he April was. 21st, they discover Timothy McVeigh is already in police custody. He was pulled over on the day of the bombing, 90 minutes after the bombing happened, when a state trooper saw him driving his yellow Mercury without a license plate. Wow. This moron plans this whole thing. And then drives without a license plate. Has his getaway car there, has no license plate on the car. Um, so he pulls him over. He takes him out of the car. Timothy McVeigh has a concealed weapon on him. So he arrests him. So he's in jail on the 21st. Thank fucking right, God. When they figure out who this mm-hmm. guy is. Um, McVeigh was an ex-army soldier that turned on the U.S. government. Um, he had these radical... Was he like one of these Ruby Ridge people? Kind of. Okay. Um, he, he, and, he had two accomplices. They're both, you know, brought in. They're all three of them brought in. They tried Timothy McVeigh and um, Terry guy, Nichols. Right? Yes. Were charged with like conspiracy in the murders mm-hmm. there's this other guy michael fortier and he was really just charged with i think like he helped them afterwards or something mm-hmm. or he helped them move guns or something like that it wasn't he wasn't charged with the murders he wasn't in on that right. so they're all tried they're all found guilty mcveigh was executed on june 11 2001 terry nichols was sentenced to life without parole and michael fortier was sentenced to 12 years in prison i don't think mcveigh fought at all for the execution either no, I think he I just, don't think he did any appeals. Nothing. No, no. I think he just. I think he it was, was like immediate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Piece like three, shit. three or four years after he oh, was convicted. It was terrible. I just remember the daycare. That I, that's just, literally in my head. That's all I can think of. I there was a daycare, the daycare in that building. All right, Laura, we're gonna finish it up. April twentieth, nineteen fourteen. No, you're all just back in the day. I am back. In I the brought day. us to present day. I'm going back. Okay, going Take back again. Back. Two years after the Titanic, Ludlow massacre. Oh, it's just all this shit you never hear about. I know. All right. And, you know, I was saying to Brian the other night, and sometimes I think I talk and he has no fucking idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> I think most of the time. He <laughs> so 
we were horrible people. Like, I am very pro-American. You know mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. red, white, and blue pours out of my veins. Mm-hmm. I love the United States, but we were fucking horrible people back mm-hmm. in the day. Mm-hmm. We really were. Mm-hmm. That being said, we have absolutely changed things because we realized we were horrible mm-hmm. and we changed things. This is one of these horrible things that we were just, it was an elitist country. And if mm-hmm. you weren't fucking white and empowered, you were fucked. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter if you were black, Italian, Greek, Russian. It didn't fucking yeah. matter. If you weren't white Protestant, you were fucked. Mm-hmm. All right. That's my rant okay. for this episode. Okay. Wait till next episode, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to get ugly. Okay. The United Mine Workers of America in Colorado had been on strike since my birthday. September 13th, okay. 1913, except I'm not born for 60-something more years. 60 years, because 60 I was years. born in 73, so 60 years. Complaining of low pay and horrible working conditions, which, as you can imagine, the coal mines in 1940, I can't even fathom. sucked. Can't There's even probably, fathom. you know, a three-year-old working with right. you. Um, once the strike begins, many, immediately, so back in the day, the town had, I mean, the, the coal mine had a town that mm-hmm. was paid for by the mine. And they had a store. Like, if you ever listen to 16 times, the, the company store was, yeah, okay, you want to eat? Yeah, but you've got to, you're yeah, just to paying to pay the store to get right. where you live. So the, the mine company owns fucking everything. Mm-hmm. So as, mo- as soon as they go on strike, everybody's evicted. Get the fuck out. Mm-hmm. So thousands of, because this is across Colorado, thousands of mine workers are evicted and they build like tent cities everywhere mm-hmm. because where else are they going to fucking live? They have to live in the tents. This is in that book. About the fucking dust bowl thing that I read. They were living in tent cities in the store. Like, it was only credit from yep, working. From the, yeah, and, from working. So they could never make money, and then they yeah, were in I debt. I mean, what is it? You load 16 tons. What do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you come in? Because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. Yeah. Do, 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 do. My that, father's saying that's that. That's literally every in this book. Day. What is the name of the book? Anyways. Well, you better start Googling. Okay, so um, they're all evicted. They're all living in their little tent towns, and the company is owned by... John D. Rockefeller's son. Oh, all right. So shocker. these are the people who built America. Rockefeller, mm-hmm. um, who's the guy with the fucking nose? J.P. Morgan, the <laughs> Vanderbilts. You ever see J.P. Morgan? He's got a bubble on his face. It's the oh size God. of a Volkswagen. It's I, disgusting. I never noticed. And anytime he's portrayed, it's he's always good. some guy with this disgusting. He was clearly a drinker. Yeah. He's got the most disgusting nose you've ever seen in your life. I just the mic, sorry. Okay. Um, but the Vanderbilts, the Rockefellers, yeah. the Morgans, the they own everything. They own everything. Yeah. So, um, it, uh, he's owned it, the Colorado fuel and iron company. They evict the miners. They set up 10 colonies around colony in the, uh, around Colorado. And the lar- one of the largest has 1200 people in it in Ludlow, Colorado. Mm-hmm. The coal miners, um, the funny, there are many ethnics where there's a lot of Italians, a lot of Greeks in these coal mines, which I didn't realize there was a lot of Italian and Greeks in Colorado. But yeah, that's why. There's my peeps. God bless you. Mm-hmm. Um, the Colorado National Guard is brought in, who many of them have just come off of the Spanish-American War, and they fought in the Philippines. I don't know what conflict's going on in the Philippines at this time, and that's for another podcast at another <laughs> time. The coal company has worked out a deal with the state that they're going to pay the National Guard to keep peace. So what does that mean? The National Guard's in the fucking coal mine. Coal right. company. They're going to do what the they're coal do whatever the coal yeah. company wants. Yeah. So this is creating huge tension among the strikers and the National Guard. And the company always also hires detectives. All right. So you have strike breakers and these company detectives. They're coming in. And just like, do you remember the um, shirtwaist factory fire? Yeah. The strikers. They're going in. They're shooting up the town. They had an armored car. They called the Death Mobile. It would come in. It would blow. Like they'd start gunning down people in the tents. Mm -hmm. The miners would retaliate. This is going on for months. Mm -hmm. Just very, very violent. So, and then nothing's happening because the coal company's condoning this kind right. of behavior. They're paying like, for it. Beat the shit out yeah. of I mean, this is, look at it, think about it. With the hot time, this is shit's going on yeah, up the until time. the 40s and 50s. Yeah. Like, this went on for a very long time with the with striking. So, April 1914, the cost of maintaining the National Guard's getting too expensive. So, they're drastically reduced. This creates a big, big problem. Um, at one point, the Colorado Fuel and Iron Company sets up, um, oh, I think I the Yamakar going through, scaring people, killing mm-hmm. people. April 19th, 1914, National Guard encircles the Ludlow Tent City. Up on a bluff, they put a huge fucking machine gun. Oh, my God. Point to the Tent City. April 20th, 1914. No one knows exactly how the violence starts, but the National Guard 
opens up fire on the camp with this machine gun. Oh my god! Kicking off a battle that lasts the whole day. Like, they're just blowing up everything. And as they're shooting people, the, the city's evacuating. People are fucking flying mm-hmm. everywhere getting out of the city. At one point, they lured the strikers, uh, the leaders of the strike, three strike leaders out under the, like, oh, hey, let's talk peace. And then killed, killed them, them as soon as they came out. Thirteen women and children go into like a basement and they're hiding to get away from the violence. Mm-hmm. They think supposedly the town is empty. They set fire to the <gasps> tents. They kill these thirteen oh. women on top of all the bat, the gun. Right. These thirteen women and children Burned are killed. And you're talking the end of the Victorian era. Wait, women and children were sacred. Mm-hmm. So the fact that thirteen women and children are killed, it is coined the Ludlow massacre. Mm-hmm. Um. When the other miners across Colorado hear this, the entire state erupts in violence. The mine companies are being vandalized mm-hmm. and destroyed. They're being shot at. It's a fucking disaster. Mine properties, deserve, I mean, 25 die in the initial tragedy, but they can't even count how many people died on both sides after that. April 28th, 1914, Woodrow Wilson has to dispatch the army to Colorado to end the violence. Oh, my God. The strike ends in December of 1914. And just like the um, shirtwaist, nothing, nothing fucking changes. Nothing changes. All of that. All and of it that. just go back to work. Yeah. And that was from Colorado Encyclopedia and U.S. History Britannica. My other articles, I got a lot from history.com mm. and I just didn't write it down. <laughs> All right. I, I found the book I was talking about. What was it called? It's The Four Winds by Kristen Hanna. I know this is fiction, but if you're interested in because there is true, you know, yeah, it's, it's based on historical, historical fiction. fiction. And it's, it's, it's like, both those stories combined. Yeah. Like, because it has the strike in it from the workers in California, and then it has the Dust Bowl stuff. Read it. It's really, it's the, very depressing. The period depressing, of time, like, so, you know, you have the colonial times, but it was really just white people living here, to be honest with you. You were English settlers. You had some French, but it was just pretty, you know, you know, the revolution. Okay. Mm-hmm. Once the immigrants started coming in, slavery is freed. The United States fucking erupted into just shit. Yeah. You know, you get the depression hit, the Dust Bowl hit slavery ends violence with mm-hmm. that it was just what the fuck yeah it was just and you constant. just hear these horrible stories of these companies and how they treated their employees mm-hmm. and how people treated each other i was like you think it's bad now i know holy no. shit we're, we're, almost, we're not getting shot at we're almost too nice now yeah. it's like jesus smack them around the place let's get a job you know <laughs> it's almost too nice now but wow i i just story after story i mean other things uh-huh. that happened this week we didn't cover these because these are just too much the school shootings there was like four i mean virginia tech was this week yep. Columbine was this week. Yeah. Um, there was a there was Waco happened yep. this week. I'm trying to think of Waco was horrible oh, on both sides. It, yeah. it was a, a government disaster, mm-hmm. and it was he was an idiot. Yeah. The, he wanted this to happen. It's you know? all in this weird week though, between yeah. like the 12th and the 19th, uh, the, or the 21st or something. We it's crazy. Have, we couldn't cover no. how many. It was like a list of 30 things. Easy. Yeah. Easy. It was ridiculous. Yeah. So. Google it. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. So that had absolutely nothing to do with nursing, but it was still terribly interesting. I went over some injuries. Okay. We did. We had some fractures in there and some blindness. Yeah. Um, Next week's episode, we are covering two court cases with nurses in the news. Yeah. Shit's going to get real. (laughs) Real quick. I'm just saying shit's going to get real. Might be slightly controversial. Yeah. Um, So thank you for listening. Mm -hmm. We've been TikToking, which I'm horrified I have to do. Yeah. But it's working. (laughs) It's working. And for those of you who think we're forcing our accents, obviously anybody listening to these podcasts knows we're not forcing these. Yeah, well, I want to say, like, yeah, someone said that. And I was like, they were like, yeah, listen to the first TikToks, blah, blah, blah. When we do this show or, like, when we try to say something clearly so you can understand us, we're I forcing, try. We're forcing we're the other way. We're forcing that way. Yeah. Like, I'm like, I have to, like, literally try yes. to not say talk it that way. so people know what the hell I'm saying. Yeah. My kids make fun of me when I talk. That's... Your kids make fun of me. And my accent isn't as bad as yours. Exactly. I get made fun at work. How often? Awesome. Literally, yeah. at least one one shift a week, I get made fun of at I work. I made fun of her at work. That's how bad it I is. I work in Boston, mm-hmm. and I get made fun of mm-hmm. Because you know what? once a week. This accent doesn't exist anymore. No, it doesn't. We're the last generation to have this accent. I know. We're so gentrified now. Everybody's, you know, 30-something with no accents. Yeah. I'm bringing it back. All right. I'm bringing Boston back. Yeah. I, I keep telling my son, I'm, I'll be like, Garrett, you're breaking my heart. 
Mom, it's heart. It's like, Garrett, you're ruining. You're ruining my culture. It's hot. Just please, just say it once. He's like, no, I'm not doing that. I can't. I can't do it anymore. So enjoy um, this first week of May. At least in New England, it's starting to get nice. It's getting a little nice. It's promising to get warm. So enjoy it. I hope you like Mm -hmm. these little stories. Uh, Summer series is around the corner. I have no idea what it's going to entail, but it's coming around the corner. A couple of weeks, you'll get your first installment. Um, We'll talk to you later. Bye. Like, subscribe, rate, and review the Scissors and Scrubs podcast on whatever podcast app you listen to us on. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Scissors and Scrubs. And email us any of your stories or thoughts to scissorsandscrubs at gmail.com.